Hello and welcome to Pure Football Podcast. This is episode 13 of the stories, people, stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond um, by fans and for fans like you. Uh, my name's Owen, I'm joined this week by Gavin Miller as ever. How are you Gavin? Yeah, all good, thank you, all good. Excellent. Um, if you are listening right now um, and you are Pure Football, then go ahead and, and leave us a, a rating or a review or subscribe to whatever podcast host you're using to listen to us. Tonight we've got a um, bunch of things that we're going to run through. First of all, um, really quick recap of uh, just some weekend results. There are a lot of interesting, important results in action in the top flight. So Celtic won the eighth league title of theirs in a row with a 3-0 victory at Aberdeen. Um, Dundee officially relegated from the Premiership with a home loss to Hamilton and Kilmarnock have jumped back up in the third spot um, and you know potential European placing with their result at the weekend and with Aberdeen's result as well at the weekend. But we're going to start a little bit lower down today in the Scottish Championship, um, kicking off with a little look at Aloha. So Jim Goodwin didn't quite live up to his surname, <laughs> but instead uh, was Jim saw the draw and <laughs> get a point at Air United on the very last day of the season, um, which was a phenomenal result for them both on the day and obviously a phenomenal result for them to stay up um, and secure their their you know uh, their place in the championship for next season. On purefitball.com uh, today, we have a really good article written by Kieran Mooney, um, which kind of gives a overview of Aloha's season, kind of picks out some key moments for the club in Kieran's view. I thought it was a really excellent article, so if you are listening, um, you know, open that article up just now and have a, have a read of it. But what, what were your thoughts on Aloha, Gavin? I think it's been incredible, the work they've done. They've got the smallest budget in the league, they're a part-time team, and yeah, it was tight and they only just scraped survival, but I think that's beyond expectations for them uh, I think mm. a lot of people had, had expect them to go straight back down and the fact that they were able to to fight all the way um, and stay competitive even when they were losing yeah they, they lost the first eight league game of the season uh, but then have gone on yeah absolutely to defy the odds uh, yeah carry on give me the rest of your thoughts yeah so I was just I was looking through some of the results and there's a lot of one goals so it's like they, when they were losing it was 2-1, 1-0 um, it was always very tight mm-hmm. um, but the, the sort of defining moment in their season for me was the run they went on um, at sort of end of March middle of April where they won four games on the bounce. And it seemed like those were also games against their kind of close rivals as well. Yeah. I mean which you'd imagine given that this is a league that has um, a lot of people in the mire um, it was a very tight, tight league but um, yeah that, that seemed kind of critical to me as well um, I had a couple of questions for you about Aloha, and, and again, I would urge any listeners to go and read Kieran's article, but just for our kind of brief thoughts on it, do you think there's an issue that they won't be able to keep hold of uh, Jim Solid Draw for next season, or, <laughs> or uh, what, what will happen there, do you think? I do think that he'll certainly have a few teams interested in him. Mm. Um, I do think there could be a bit of a managerial merry-go-round in the summer uh, all depending on what happens with Steve Clark I also wouldn't be surprised if Hearts get a bad defeat in the cup final if they consider moving on from Craig Levine if Craig Levine decides to sack himself (laughs) but uh, I know that's unlikely but I just I I can see that coming and obviously the Dundee job's going to be available there's no way that Jim McIntyre's in charge next season even though he said it there's just no way it's happening sure um and albeit, you know, they'll be in the same division, but for someone like Jim Solidraw, um, you know, that might be an appealing club to continue his 
development. Sure. Well, let, let's hope for Allah's sake that that doesn't happen. It seems like they've got a good thing going with him there. Um, but yeah, possibly an interesting thing to look at. The other thing I was going to think, well, meant to ask you about as well was obviously Allah part-time club, um, the, the only part-time club at that level in Scottish football. Do you have worries that being part-time potentially means that you'll be quite fatigued at this point you maybe can't recover as well over the summer as some of the other clubs and the, the second season of that flight might be really tough uh, and what do you do about that as a part-time club I guess there's two ways of looking at it so the the, the positive spin is maybe because they're not training as much maybe their, their legs have got more in them I'm not sure how that's training supposed to work but um, go on for them specifically you know obviously full time would be better but sure. in terms of you know energy levels I'd, I do wonder if may, maybe it's not as bad as, as we we think okay I think the the biggest issue they'll have is that some of their key players um, if they get you know picked off uh, how do they replace them they're going to lose Jack Aitchison, Connor Shields, who haven't really set the worlds on fire, mm. but I'd imagine every single player in your squad uh, is important at that at that level. Sure. Um, yep. And Dario Zanata as well. I'm sure he's going back to Hearts. Um, so you know, losing these players will be difficult. And then if anyone comes in for you know like the keeper Neil Parry, who's had rave reviews, he's a bit older, but um, in the Championship, you never know. Dundee, for example, someone that could consider. Someone that knows the league like that. So yeah, it'll be, I think it'll be really hard for them in terms of recruitment. Okay, well that's uh, certainly something to keep our eye on. And, and as I said, uh, check out Kieran's article for a, a really informed kind of take on that. And uh, yeah, we'll be checking back in to see how Al are doing um, over the summer and, and next season. Be good to watch them in a championship. We're going to keep our eye uh, for now kind of down at that level. We're going to have a look at some of the playoff matches that are to come from uh, you know championship teams, League 1 teams, League 2 teams. Um, at most of these levels, particularly the championship, there have been, I don't know, more twists and turns than an, ap- an episode of Line of Duty. Um, and I, <laughs> I won't give you any spoilers because you know, the last episode of that was last night and I, I, me and Gavin had a um, sort of pure football meeting, we're out, so didn't see it last night but managed to avoid any spoilers and watched it now. But uh, no spoilers for anybody else, but yeah, certainly... Um, the championship has been a crazy, crazy place this season, and the playoff games for that level and you know the two tiers below it happen this week. So we've got the first games on the the seventh of May, Tuesday night, um, and then more on Saturday, the eleventh of May. Yeah, I thought we would give a quick rundown of the games, and then we can kind of look at you know our, our kind of brief thoughts on who to watch out for and what we might see coming. So in the championship. We've got Air versus Inverness on Tuesday, obviously potentially to, to go, go up. Yeah. Um, and then at the other end, between the Championship and the League One, we've got games for Montrose versus Queen of the South and Forfer versus Wraith Rovers. Um, and then below that, Brecon, are, are, well, Falkirk, I should say, are the relegated teams in the Championship and Ross County, obviously, are the champions. League One um, are both of the champions that are coming up. Uh, Brecon are relegated from there. And the playoffs down at that level are um, Annan Athletic versus Stenhouse Muir and Edinburgh City versus Clyde. League Two, the, the champions are Peterhead and uh, Berwick Rangers. I believe they have a playoff against Cove Rangers on, on uh, this this weekend as well. So lots of interesting games just to, to start with from that level. Is there anybody that you're particularly concerned for or think will move? What, what What's your take, Gavin? A couple of things, I think. Um, I'll start with the Championship. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be Inverness and Air. I think that'll be really close over those two legs. Okay. Um, and, and the winner 
then goes on to face Dundee United, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Dundee United, so they were not, they'd won three games on the bounce and then they sh- suffered a, pretty much a shock defeat to Morton at the weekend. Um, so I just wor- worry about their confidence. They seem to be really up and down in terms of their form. I think the rest does Dundee United a big favour in this situation, though. Sure. Um, but go, go on. Yeah, so I, I was going to say, I think Dundee United have probably the most quality mm. Um, overall, so they should be able to do that. Um, I think Inverness and Ayers are toying costs. I'm going to put my hat on Inverness versus Dundee United for the semi. Okay. So at the other end, I th- I think Queen of the South are going to have enough to stay in the league. Um, they've just appointed Alan Johnston as their manager, who was previously with them after sacking Gary Naismith. So what, one one last chance for Doby to pull them out of this. It's absolutely incredible, I think, that a team can be in a playoff Despite, I mean, Dobie's got 21 league goals, 0.73 goals per 90 minutes, um, and his team are potentially going to be relegated. It's crazy. But you think they can beat Montrose out in that tie? Yeah, I, th- I think they've got enough quality overall to stay in okay. uh, in the division. I think they'll they'll get through just, Okay. but I think they'll get through. I think um, Dobie and Dykes are, you know, really, really dangerous for um, these teams to try and stop, so... I do think they'll they'll have enough quality overall to to stay in the championship. I I have a wee feeling about Wraith Rovers. I think they've scored a lot of goals this season. Be interested to see what happens if they end up uh, playing against Queen of the South. Um, but but sure, you're you're probably right. You would imagine that Queen of the South might have enough. What about the next level down? Any thoughts on those kind of games? Yeah, so the the one that I'll go to, I'll go down to League Two. Um, I'm really worried about Edinburgh City. They've not won a game in six games. Uh, the last time they played Clyde, they got beat. They seem to have lost all their sort of early to mid-season form. Pretty much ever since they went out of the Iron Brew Cup, they've struggled, which is, is quite interesting, I guess. So their form's been really hit and miss, and I, I think they're in a, a bad place. I think Clyde are looking pretty good just now, um, and I think they sh- they've probably got the most quality to... To go up and uh, obviously David Goodwillie, who's you know uh, a fantastic player at that level, as is you know John Rankin. Um, so I think I think Clyde are my tip to to go up into League One. And in a really good form as well. So I, I'll be interested to see how they do. I think at least I feel like they could maybe spring some sort of shock over Stenhouse Muir um, at least and get to the the next round. I mean against Edinburgh City or Clyde or, or you know whatever. So that'd be interesting to keep an eye on them. Yeah, they've. Anna seem to have a an, an eye for a goal. I think they've got the most goals in, yeah. in League 2. So, yeah, they've scored 70 goals this season. The next closest is Peterhead with 65, who are obviously the champions. So, um, you know, at that level, I think confidence is key. So, um, if Annan are playing, you know, really attacking football and then they're going to be playing a Stenish Muir who have scraped, you know, um, into the, the playoff place opposed to automatic relegation... Um, I think form is really important in these sort of games. Okay, well, it's good to hear your thoughts about that, and we'll definitely keep our eyes on those games uh, over this week, uh, and then obviously the the further fixtures till those are determined. Um, we're still going to keep our eye um, down at the well, not the not the Premiership, basically. Um, this time we're going to be looking at the Championship for a pretty notable news story of this week. So to continue the sort of theme of championship managers that are eager to hear my weak puns, um, <laughs> this time not about his name, but about his nationality, yes, Jonathan Johansson has decided to finish his uh, oh my God. <laughs> managerial time at Greenock Morton, uh, walking out just hours before the final game of the season. Um, 
so I had two kind of, well, I want to hear your thoughts about Scaven, but first of all, just a, a wee kind of curveball question. Do you have any idea how many caps Jonathan Johansson got for Finland without without cheating? Without cheating? Uh, so I'm going to guess 48. 106. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah, wow. I, hadn't, I hadn't really realised that either. So 106 caps and 22 goals. So good for him. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Anyway, so it seems as though Johansson uh, has walked out of Green at Morton because, in effect, the club told him that he shouldn't start um, a player, Charlie Telford, because if Charlie Telford hit a um, certain number of starts for the season, he was due some money, I guess, um, and the club didn't want that to happen. Um, so I think there was a bit of back and forth about this, and then uh, Johansson quit. What What's the kind of detail? Is that the case, Gavin? Do you know anything else? And what are your thoughts about this happening? I'm not 100% sure of the finer detail, but I know that Charlie Telford did come on. Uh-huh. Um, so if that was the case, then... I think the word is maybe that it's starts and not just appearances in some way. Oh, okay. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure of the, the detail of that. Yeah, um, so first of all, it was it was really strange timing, an hour before kickoff. Um, I was totally surprised. I think when I messaged you on WhatsApp, it was a bit like, is this really happening? Uh, <laughs> a manager's walked out an hour before kickoff because not only does that is that bad for the, the current, like the Morton situation at the moment, that's bad for Johansson's overall management career. Um, how does he justify that to any future employers? Does anyone... You know, an hour before kickoff, I I can't really fathom what in what way is that acceptable. Well, I mean, the reason what you could say if you're Hanson that makes it acceptable is I was being told by the club to do um, something that's not right. They were in, in effect trying to pick my team for me, and therefore I'm a man of principle, and I decided that I wasn't going to put up with that. So that could be your position, right? Yeah, I guess, but I'm still I don't know. I'm not really. I'm not buying it. Um, I just don't. I think. I think there's definitely things going on at Morton that um, the public aren't aware of. I know that um, they've been told that effectively next year the players that they lose are going to be replaced with academy or youth players. Um, so maybe you know this this the Charlie Telfer thing is the the straw that's broke the camel's back. Um, sure. So I, I don't know if Johansson obviously he's came from being a, a youth coach at Rangers. Peter Houston's quite um well known in the Scottish uh footballing community. Maybe this is just the, the you know, like I said, the the one thing that's taken it too far for, for both of them. Um but in terms of Morton as well, in the last what is it, seven games they've they've lost one. They've three clean sheets in a row. So it's like things in terms of performance wise, um we're maybe starting to look up. Uh, they secured safety. In fact, they managed to finish fifth, which is a little bit crazy. Yeah, I mean they're one place off promotion, playoff places. We could have been talking about them in the last segment, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, but again, it just shows you how you know how insane that league has been this year. Um, a three a three game winning streak effectively puts you into fifth um, from potential relegation. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really tough one. Uh, I think that Morton. Um, if that is the case where they're going to be looking at you know, someone to develop youth players for next season, I think it's going to be quite a difficult appointment. I'm not too sure how you who you can sound out for that and who would be you know, willing to take a, a job at a championship team knowing that you're effectively got your hands tied behind your back. 
Yeah, that's an interesting uh, thing to think about as well. Uh, it's got to be troubling for the you know the club there. Although the the board, or rather the owner, I guess, did put a statement um, earlier today, um, kind of about what's happened, and he was very keen to stress in it that they'd had six applications for the managerial job before that match at the weekend had even finished. Wow. <laughs> so he's quite keen he's quite keen to but I mean, maybe he put one of those applications in. Yeah. And <laughs> he's the guy that apparently wants to pick the team. Um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, remains to be seen who they'll actually appoint. And just briefly before we move on to the next section, these um have some examples of some very kind of short tenure managerial appointments across world football. So not exactly the same situation as this where a manager's kind of walked out uh, pre-game or, or mid-game or whatever, but just a few notable ones so we can kind of you know compare uh, Johansson to them. So um, I'd look at some of the shortest kind of shifts that managers had put in. A couple that kind of stuck out were, um, well, Alex McLeish uh, served seven games at Nottingham Forest, and I guess that one stuck out to me because perhaps we all wished that he had stuck out for far fewer games than he actually did for Scotland <laughs> in this latter spell. Um, and, you know, coincidentally, it gives me an opportunity to say, uh, where's our manager of Scotland? Uh, what's happening with that? Um, then uh, uh, quite a funny one that I saw was Luigi Del Neri, who um, became Porto manager after uh, Jose Mourinho left there. And he was sacked by Porto before they'd had any games due to his poor timekeeping. And this was not the first time that he'd been sacked by a club, apparently, in his career for poor timekeeping. So that was quite a funny one. Um, That's awesome. And uh, slightly less funny, but, you know, still, uh, Leroy Rosinier um, was appointed by Torquay United. And then 10 minutes later, he found out via a website that there'd been a club takeover and they instantly dismissed him. So he was in the role for 10 minutes <laughs> before he got replaced. That is a hostile takeover if I've ever heard of one. Yeah, that's very, very hostile. Eh? And then there's, of course, you know, in terms of people actually walking out, there's the kind of classic Marcelo Bielsa one. Uh, uh, Gavin's, I guess, former favourite Italian club before he realised that they were they had some fascist fans at Lazio. But yeah, Bielsa walked out after two days there because he wasn't, I guess, getting the transfer targets that he'd been told he might be able to get. So yeah, there, there's been some uh, interesting um, previous, you know, kind of managerial short-term uh, situations and stuff. But the Johansson one is, is crazy. Just before we um, move on, do you mind if I give you just a couple of shouts that I thought that Morton could maybe look at? Absolutely. Um, Please do. Yeah, it'd be great. So the the first name that stuck out to me was potentially David Hopkin, a former Livingston manager, okay. um, who's had a terrible spell with uh, Bradford um, and is out of work and he's an ex-Morton player. Um, he's obviously with Livingston worked wonders in terms of the development of the, those players and pretty much kept the same squad for uh, three years so I just wonder if maybe Morton would appeal to him I think he I mean I'm, I'm sure Morton would love to have him you, you might imagine that if somebody has just come from not a particularly fun time at Bradford and then to know that you're going into Morton where there's problems with finances maybe and stuff like that maybe a hard sell to get him to go there but uh, yeah that'd be an interesting appointment wouldn't it and he, he did I mean he was even I think he was caretaker manager even at Morton briefly, right? A long time ago. Yeah, I think you're right. And maybe was he didn't he manage the reserves with Jonathan Johansson as well? 
Anyway, I'm casting my mind back way, way too far. Um, but that's a, <laughs> it's a really good shout, and obviously there is some link there, um, both you know in terms of that, and, and obviously it was a, a player, and I guess the must have been the early nineties, or and, and then I, yeah. So good shout. Who, who else you got? Yeah, yeah, I've got two other uh, lower level shouts. So uh, Stuart Petrie from Montrose. Uh, Montrose went from League Two to now challenging in the playoffs uh, in League One. If they don't go up, I just wonder if. Um, you know that could be an appealing move for him in terms of his development. If Montrose fail to to go up through the playoffs, if you'll see that as something that um, could progress his career. Uh, and similarly, there's da- Danny Lennon from Clyde, um, who's got experience. But then there's the St Mirren connection, which I'm not too sure the fans would like. But if you're trying to you know um, improve your club, then I think Lennon could be a, a positive shout. This last one is definitely a bit of a reach, so I'm ready for you to tell me that it's just silly. Okay. And it's not Jose Mourinho. Uh, <laughs> is it Rui Faria um, or one of his support staff? <laughs> get him used to yeah. the culture. So I actually opted for Graham Murray okay. um, from Rangers. I think that he actually would be a really good manager at a club without the pressure that he had at Rangers. Also with the, the youth background that he has... I just wonder if, if you know, and that's a, a good fit for the club, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's probably unlikely that Marty would leave Rangers for Morton, but I just thought that in terms of the situation they're in, if they need a coach to get the best out of young players, mm-hmm. that's what Marty's sort of done with Rangers. And uh, there's obviously connections there in terms of some of the players he's worked with, with uh, Robbie McCrory, um, Andrew Dallas, etc. So I just wonder if Rangers will maybe look at that relationship. Don't know. It's a bit of a reach. I, I get that. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Uh, I, I like it. Good. Um, right. Okay. So moving straight on now to the PFA Scotland Awards. So we wanted to have a quick look at who got the awards and kind of what we thought of the PFA Team of the Year. Uh, maybe any kind of adjustments that we would make. So just to run through the the people that won the awards for the Scottish Premiership, the Player of the Year um, is James Forrest. So Forrest has 11 goals and 12 assists in the league this season. Um, actually made his debut for Celtic about nine years ago, um, almost exactly. And he's certainly come on to things this season and recently. What did you make of that choice, Gavin? I think it's fair. Uh, I think Forrest has probably been the, one of the most consistent in the league overall. Uh, continually contributes for Celtic. He, he always does well in big games and is always there when Celtic need him. So uh, I didn't. I didn't have too many arguments with this I couldn't think of too many players where I was I'd be comfortable to say that they're the player of the season so yeah I would have stuck with, with James Forrest in that one what about you? Um, yeah I, I guess you would have to say that he's had a brilliant season in terms of goals and assists it was interesting to me that um, so Callum McGregor got Celtic's kind of player of the season as far as I understand um, and you know so it's interesting that he got that but Forrest got this and if McGregor was seen by the Celtic kind of fans or, or whoever made that award as more important than Forrest but Forrest won this it's interesting I just I always think that awards of these sort um, they over award goal scorers basically um, I would love one season to see uh, one of my fullbacks or deep line playmakers or, or whatever get um, an award, but it's probably unlikely to be. Anyway, Forrest is fantastic, so he's had a great season, so well done to him. It's a deserved award, as much as also I believe that individual awards are bullshit, but that's, um, that's another, <laughs> another aspect of things. Um, what about young player of the season, which uh, which went to Ryan Kent? What's your take on that? Uh, uh, it's... 
David Turnbull should feel robbed. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, I think Turnbull's been the best young player in Scotland this season. Uh, Kent has been great, um, but I think Kent was, you know, he was injured for quite a while. Uh, missed a, a big part of the, about maybe a couple of months of the season. Whereas I think Turnbull has been an absolute revelation since since January, effectively, when uh, Motherwell made um, a sort of change in formation. Turnbull's the joint fourth highest scorer in the league. I know you said that goal scorers get overlooked, but in this case, I think it's maybe not been. Um, Ryan Kent, uh, who, I, again, I'm a big fan of. He's great to watch. He's exciting. But I think David Turnbull, for me, was the was the player for this this award. Sure. I mean, if you do look at it just in kind of simple goals and assist terms, uh, Kent got six goals and six assists in the league and Turnbull has nine goals and five assists in the league. So um, there's definitely a difference there. Um, I'm I'm probably with you as well. I just find Turnbull really exciting, really big fan of him. Um, But Kent has been brilliant too in in many ways. Um, Had really good performances. So I, I... I'm happy with that. I think the key thing for me in terms of young player of the season is that Kent's just about young enough that I'm okay with it being awarded. I hate seeing it when it's like a 24-year-old down south or whatever winning young player of the season. Um, so, um, so I'm fine. Kent's only, what, 22 or something. So that that's that's just all right. But uh, yeah. What about manager? Uh, so Steve Clark got the, the nods. What do you make of that? Um, I was starting to think about this uh so I think he probably does deserve it based on who the candidates were. But but um I think overall from Kilmarnock, I was looking at their squad and you know, there's a lot said about, you know, the work that he's done uh and, and whatnot, uh in terms of developing Killy. But they've got a really good, you know, bunch of players that uh so for example you've got a backman on loan from Watford, Tishbola from Aston Villa, a Malumbu from uh from Celtic obviously and I know that it's down to Clark to get it out of these players, but I just wonder, are we maybe overselling the job that he's actually done? Do you think it should be more like just everybody's on a level playing field and, and that he's getting extra credit because he's Kilmarnock manager, basically? I fit, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that, actually. I think that's a good point. Um, I mean, the things you would have to say is that uh, a record points haul again for the second season in a row um, and not only that but it's improved in that last season they were fifth in the league and this season uh, well they'll be at least fourth but right now they're in third um, could well hold on to that so uh, he's done great but um, yeah, I, I am kind of a little bit with you on the kind of we're kind of given this award because he's Kelly manager so I don't know and, and sure you might want to say that the paucity of uh, resources comparatively does merit, you know, kind of more respect for the achievements and and so on. But um, should it to that extent? I don't know. So if not him, are you saying then that Brendan Rodgers deserves it? <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh really? Okay. I'm not. I'm not comfortable giving it to a manager that's not completed the full season. Do you think he'd have turned up for the awards? Is that <laughs> a worry? <laughs> um. Yeah, probably. Tell a fantastic story of how a Rangers fans congratulated him on the way. Absolutely. I'd probably go, if I had to go manager of the year, I probably would have went back to Jim Goodwin. Okay. Um, for that, I wouldn't have gone to anyone in the Premiership. One one point just to circle back on what I was talking about with Kilmarnock as well there. Sure. So, um, I think the gap between uh, the overall teams this year is bigger than it was last year. Uh, so, for example... Ross County finished on 29 points, finishing last. 
Whereas this year, Dundee are going to finish on, at best, 24. Uh, St Mirren are on 26. At best, are going to finish on 32. Partick Thistle finished on 33. Hamilton, at best, are going to finish on 36. Uh, whereas last year, well, Hamilton finished on 33. So they've made a slight improvement uh, at best. But I think there's that, the gulf there is quite important as well when we're talking about you know record points tallies. You've got to consider the the standard or of the teams that are in the league overall as well. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean Hamilton, St Mirren, and Dundee are significantly worse than everybody else. You, you would say so. That, that that's an interesting point, Gavin. Yeah, not 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 um, yeah, maybe something that people haven't thought about. So um, the lower league awards, there were player awards for them. So just quickly run through those, and um, yeah, what a surprise! They went for forwards in all three of the divisions as their selections. Um, so Stephen Doby uh, of Queen of the South got the championship award. I mean, he's thirty six years old and he scored forty goals across all competitions. So that's pretty incredible for me personally. I might think that there'd be other options in that league that I would have thought of before him I know it really stands out for him to score many so many goals but look his team might get relegated so, yeah. Um, yeah. but um, yeah Bobby Lynn in League 1 for our both got 21 league goals in 32 games and he got the award for that he's 33 years old but he has a contract for one more season um, might be quite interesting to see if he's the kind of veteran championship revelation next season <laughs> and finally Blair Henderson in League 2 um, got the award for um, essentially his goals for Edinburgh City 30 goals in 35 league games so far I think so yeah pretty, pretty fantastic you're, you're your thoughts on those? Do you agree? Disagree? Uh, I think I think your point about Dobie's maybe right. Um, his team might go down. Remember, remember when there were people calling for him to be playing for Scotland this season? <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. Yeah, I think I think you're right. They've just looked at who's the top scorer in each division and and opted for them. It's not it's not a lot of thought, really. I mean, if I'm being, I mean, surely I'm 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 guessing, right? But that just smacks of somebody who's. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be much thought put into it. But again, as I said, you know, people do value goals and obviously goals when you game, so it'd be stupid not to, but I just feel that's a little bit reductive in terms of the things that, that may really matter and players that could be looked at. Anyway, the team of the season then. So from back to front, it's um McGregor and goals, big uh, Alan McGregor Rangers, Tavernier at right back. Then I think um it's Three centre backs, so Ayer and Boyata of Celtic, Halkett of Livingston, and clearly we've all forgotten about um, Kazakhstan and Shinny starting at left wing back or, or left back, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then it's uh, Scott Brown and Callum McGregor of Celtic in the middle, and then James Forrest right wing, Ryan Kent left wing, and Alfredo Morelos up top. What do you think? Anybody that should be in, shouldn't be in? Uh, any kind of general thoughts about that? A couple of uh, ones for me. Uh, I don't think McGregor is the keeper of the season. I think he's had a good season, but I probably would have went for uh, Liam Kelly. I think the job that he's done at Livingston has been excellent. Um, or Xander Clark. I think both of those have been outstanding. Well, it's, it's, it's funny you mention those two. And, and yeah, they've both been good, but they both had howlers sort of at the weekend to let in goals in their game against each other. I mean, Halkett's won against uh, Clark. I mean, Halkett was so far out that the first person he celebrated with was Liam Kelly, his home goalkeeper. <laughs> and then uh, Kelly wasn't too hot for the um, St. Johnston goal, in my view. I, I would 
I think Scott Bain has been the best goalkeeper in the league. And I know he's not played for all the season, but I mean, I think he's been the best keeper. Yeah, I, similar to to Rogers, I don't feel comfortable giving player of the season to someone that's not played the majority of the games. But overall, I think I think if you were to look at from January onwards, I would agree with you on Bain. Um, but I think over the full course of the season, I'm probably going to stick my hat on Liam Kelly. Um, I think over the course of the season, the job that he's done has been excellent. Uh, he's been a big part in uh, Livingston's you know, success this season and getting called up to the Scotland squad, I think, is is impressive. Uh, so that was McGregor for me was the first one. Um, I didn't think Boyata either. I, I, I feel like I didn't really get that one. Yeah, I think he, he had some good spells, really good spells that almost made people forget about what he can be and then he played against Rangers in the, the, the game at the tail of the, 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 of the of last year and it was pretty disastrous. I'm, I would say, and again it probably comes back to the idea of people that haven't played um, enough games in a season but for me Benkovic has been Celtic's best centre-back and probably was the best centre-back in the league um, when he was playing. I think he was phenomenal, so I, I would have perhaps have looked at him. Um, and I think on the left back area, if if we're gonna play a real actual formation, uh, then and again and again it's Celtic, and again it's somebody who hasn't played all the minutes. But I still think Tierney was really good. It's just that he wasn't last season good, um, but he was still really good. And if not him, then I think Max Lowe. Uh, Aberdeen deserved a shout as well and I know you, you had Taylor from Comarnock and you're kind of underappreciated players so that's another left back it could potentially have been in as well The other one, uh, just to quickly on Boyata, I thought John Suter was more deserving than Boyata uh, uh, on that as well, um, but yeah I think you're right Tierney for me has to be the left back if we're playing an actual formation <laughs> um, I had a bit of a debate with someone uh, who mentioned Scott Brown. Would you put Turnbull in instead? I know that might mess up the formation and stuff. Uh, maybe. I think um, it's been a mixed season for Brown. There was big patches where he was a problem for Celtic and then they really improved when they were playing McGregor in the kind of deepest lying position. And then, you know, he's under Lennon, he's had important moments um, goals and you know obviously you know showing kind of determination and stuff but I still think there's been issues with his play I think um, I mean it's, it's silly to even mention it given that they won the league and won 3-0 at a weekend there but I think he had a very bad game against Aberdeen um, if you know actually watch the detail of his defensive duels and his positioning and stuff like that for me I don't think he should be in the team of the year I definitely agree with the point on the Aberdeen game watching that back uh, he He's, he was really sloppy, considering Aberdeen didn't even put him under that much pressure. Uh, he was really poor. Um, you know what, I think you've talked me into taking him out and putting Turnbull on. Uh, yeah, I think I'll go for that. Um, but the, I think the three ahead of Forrest, Morelos and Kent, I think I'm, I, I'm pretty comfortable with all three of those. I think um, Edwards had a really good season and there could be grounds to find a way for him to get in the team. But I don't think I would drop any of those front three. So then you'd maybe have to look at rejigging things somewhat. I don't know how I would do that, um, but maybe a four-two-four of sorts with just McGregor and Turnbull in the mid- middle. And then I was thinking that there's some other people that I think have had good seasons. So um, in that sort of area as well, though. So I think Arfield, especially laterally with the kind of slight formation tweak for Rangers, um, and we'll come on to that because we're going to talk about Rangers in a minute. But I think he's had a good season. 
Um, and I think um, Ryan Christie, although it's been interrupted a couple of times by injury, I think he was really important for Celtic and offered something a bit different to most other players in the league. So, yeah, he's another one that I think could have been in there. But I think that um, momentum and when your good games are and not being injured and just having enough minutes to be around kind of really matters in, t- in terms of getting into you know selections like this. You know. So, so I'm glad that you mentioned that because I've got two quick hot take questions for you. First one, would Stephen Naismith have got into the team of the year if he hadn't got injured? Not for me, um, but I think he would have been buzzing as he does in around it as he you know does on, on a pitch. <laughs> um, but yeah, he'd have been in the, in the running for sure if he'd still been playing. Uh, yeah. Next one is, if Greg Stewart stayed at Kilmarnock, would Greg Stewart have been in the team of the season? In and around it, but would you drop Forrest or Kent for him? Not for me, um, but uh, he would have been in and around the, the selection process, sure. What do you think? I'm just thinking, I probably would have took, so I've, I've laterally opted for Turnbull over Brown. Okay. Um, I would have been comfortable. I think if Naismith stayed fit for the full season, I would have put him in my team of the season. I think the effect that he has on the Hearts uh, performance overall is uh, they're two different teams w- with and without him. Uh, it's it's crazy how important he is to them. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fair shout. He's, he's definitely such a significant player for them. Um, and it's been unfortunate the kind of uh, latter part of the season they've been without him. Um, who knows, maybe he'll be back in for the cup final. What do you think? I would love to say he would be. And I think he's the sort of player where he's going to do absolutely everything he can to try and make it. Um, but I'm just not sure that it's the best thing for him uh, trying to rush back from an injury because I think at his age, you know, it's maybe going to increase the likelihood of a, a, a further injury. He's got to make sure he gets that next contract wherever it is, right? So, yeah, you, you don't want to jeopardise that. <laughs> um, so to, to move on now for our discussion of that, we're going to have a look at Rangers this week. Um, so since uh, their loss to Celtic um, at the kind of you know tail end of March and... It was a very narrow loss. Rangers have had five wins in a row in the league. Um, they've only conceded one goal over that period. So pretty phenomenal um, run of form, um, even at this kind of late stage of the, the season. How do you think things have gone since then? You know, There have been potentially a few kind of tactical tweaks lately. Uh, and what's your kind of thoughts about um, that part of the season and also went bef- what went before it, Gavin? Sure. Um, so to start with uh, the most recent uh, run of form, I think... Like you mentioned there, the the change in, in uh, tactical setup has has played a huge part in that. I think Rangers had became quite predictable uh, with their setup, so um, they've now opted to this sort of almost like a Christmas tree esque formation uh, with a four three two one, um, and I think they've played rather than the, the traditional uh, defensive midfielder uh, sort of destroyer ball winner type. They've opted for. Uh, a playmaker uh, with Stephen Davis playing that role, um, which has encouraged Kamara and Jack to to you know help press further forward. So I think that's you know helped Rangers regain regain the ball quicker, get the ball moving forward quicker, uh, giving Scott Arfield complete uh, almost free reign in terms of his role. Uh, obviously, he'll have individual instructions, I'd imagine, for each game. But his positioning, if you watch it throughout, he covers pretty much that full final third in terms of his movement. Uh, which I think is really important in terms of creating space for Jermaine Defoe and uh, and linking up with Defoe. So I think that's you know really uh, been the reason why Rangers in the last sort of five or six games we've seen that that st- 
consistency that they've probably lacked uh, over the course of the season. And I think it's, I think like it was mentioned with the predictability, that's that's maybe caught teams a little bit off guard and they're not sure how best to defend against it or how best to adapt to the changes that Rangers have made. And, and I think with the, you know, the, the two sort of further forward players in terms of Arfield and Kent or Candace, uh I think we've seen it in the, the Hibs game at the weekend, uh, James Tavernier, his, uh, his license to get forward seems to have increased. Um, there was parts where, you know, he was pressing right down at effectively the corner flag. Uh, for Hibs, it was, it was pretty crazy. Uh, so I think that's a way to, you know, get the best out of him as well. Uh, so I, th- I think it's been some really smart tactical, you know, set uh, changes by the, by the Rangers backroom staff. Yeah, very interesting changes. Um, I, I guess... There might have been concerns about how they would do without Morelos after the sending off against Celtic, but um, everything's gone pretty brilliantly, you would have to say. I think it is interesting that, like you, you mentioned, Tavernier's got more, even more licence to go forward. I guess they would feel that, given the change in the kind of top of the, um, the, the park positions... They need some width, they need even more width from him and also given at left back that it's kind of been Flanagan who's not going to give you that width necessarily or at least not quick width um, from left back. They really need it to come from the right side even more so. So yeah, some some interesting tactical tweaks and I think you're right that um, it's good to see that there's such good coaching going on there at the moment at the club. Um, so I just wanted to run through, um, we're, we're going to talk a wee bit about how we think things are progressing for Rangers and maybe any kind of squad issues and thoughts about next season. But just to kind of um, pre preface that, just a few kind of, you know, little bits of detail about this season and last season and so on. So it was interesting for me to note that um, this season in the league, Rangers have only lost one game more than Celtic. Um, they've actually scored more goals than Celtic. They're a full I mean, obviously last season they finished in third, but this season they're 14 points currently ahead of third. They uh, Last season they went out in the first qualifying round of the Europa League, but this season obviously they got to the group stage and you know uh, competed really well there. I think one of the key things that they had to sort out from last season was defence. Um, at the moment they've conceded half of the number of goals that they finished up conceding uh, in the league last season. So at this point they've conceded 25 goals. They finished last season in the league conceding 50 goals um, they've lost half as many games so they've only lost 5 games in the league this season as opposed to 10 last season and they've already scored more goals this season than last season with you know 2 games left still to play in, in this season so in, in terms of those kind of basic uh, details it, it looks to me as though there's you, you would say there's quite a lot of progress um, now obviously just progress but ending up in second isn't necessarily what you know anybody concerned that Rangers should be satisfied with so kind of I guess to start from that position and then we can talk about the squad and what they might need to do and so on what do you think the goals should be for next season for Rangers and you know and what do you think about progress this season and, and so on sure I think in terms of this season um, something that I think in terms of the defeats specifically to start with um, so the five defeats um, a couple of those came so they played Kilmarnock Kilmarnock beat them 2-1 Livingston beat them 1-0 Aberdeen beat them 1-0 and I think the two defeats to Celtic you know that's that's acceptable Celtic are a really good team um, and it's not to be unexpected to be defeated by Celtic um, but 
I think the games against Kilmarnock, Livingston and Aberdeen will be games where if Gerrard was to look back on them, those will be the ones that he'll be frustrated with, especially, you know, uh, all three of those games they were faced against uh, low blocks, so Livingston, um, you know, have, have, that's pretty much been their setup full season, Kilmarnock very similar, uh, Aberdeen done pretty much the same when they beat Rangers, when uh, they, they scored a, from a set piece early on and then just sat deep, um, so I think maybe if Gerrard would have to look at how did he adapt in those games, um, Rangers were were very very um, persistent with the four three three, or the four two three one, whatever you want to to you know call the actual structure. But I th- I think that you know the consistent uh, get the ball out wide, cross the ball in the box, was playing into the hands of the the, the low block, especially against Kilmarnock and Livingston and Aberdeen, where the centre backs were sort of just eating up those balls into the box and letting Rangers come at them again and do the same thing over and over again. I think it was that's a bit of uh, tactical naivety from from Gerard and potentially his coaching staff in those games. And that's something I think for next season they'll need to try and look at. For me, I thought as well as looking at the games that they lost, um, there was quite a few draws this season and I felt like there was a period in December um, when there were some problems kind of scoring, maybe to the level they are now. So, I don't know, try to cast my mind back. So there was the the loss against Aberdeen um, at the start of December, and then that was kind of followed by there was a draw away at Dundee, I think, and then there was two draws v Hibernian uh, home and away, and these kind of preceded then the you know obviously the really good win over Celtic at the end of the year, but I felt that that was a kind of problem spell, uh, and you know the draws were slightly indicative of a, a slight problem creating chances at that point, maybe because the things you noted about them being a little bit predictable. Um, formation-wise and in terms of how they were creating chances, you know, the, the kind of persistent crossing and so on. But ca- carry on, um, what were you kind of relating that to next season? One other quick thing to mention during that period as well, I think uh, we've seen Rangers as well playing with the sort of standard holding midfielder quite a lot during that period as well. McCrory and, and Koulibaly and Jack were all playing that, that role and they're not probably the best players to to try and start transitions um, from defence to attack, so that's probably had a part to play in that as well. Um, so, in terms of next season, I think what Rangers just have to look to do is try and emulate what they've done in Europe uh, to get, you know, because that's obviously an important revenue source. I think they have to win a cup competition. I don't know. I think the league's probably still going to be out the reach um, unless Celtic fall off a cliff. That was exactly my my take as well. That um, the fans deserve for them to win something, right? Um, and you might say that realistically that would be a cup. I think the league at the moment, unless things really change in terms of recruitment, that to win the league it might take for Celtic to really drop the ball, which could happen in terms of managerial appointment and you know whatever happens in the summer and stuff. But um, you know a good Europa League. Group stage showing and a, and a cup, yeah. Um, but but go on. Anything else you think that would be a goal or? Um, I think. I think another goal's got to be um, the development of the some of the younger players that they've got just now, and I'm not sure what the number is on that, but I'd like to see uh, Rangers try and give some more minutes where possible. Um, I think you know we've seen Middleton and McCrory, but there's a lot of other good young kids. At Rangers and whether it's too soon, I don't know. But um, you know, there's there's just a lot of names where if you look at the Scotland 19s to 21s, you see the name Rangers quite a lot. 
Uh, I'm not going to pinpoint any one individual, but I'd just like to see that as an overall theme. Uh, Rangers trying to develop these younger players a little bit more, um, especially with when we look at their their squad for next season. So uh, I counted, what was it, one... 11 players potentially that could be out next season um, so ranging from Macaulay to Jason Holt, Joe Dodu, Wes Fosringham, Kyle Lafferty, Lee Wallace Joe Worrell, Kula Bally uh, Jack Alnwick and potentially Grejda slash maybe Dorns if they can find a suitor um, I just, I, th- I think there's writing on the wall for quite a lot of these players um, Gerard made some comments about the performances in a reserve game against Liverpool where Kyle Lafferty, Grejda, um, Barisic and Morelos all played where he said that um, some of the players had um, effectively played their last game for Rangers. So uh, I'm not sure who he was referring to. I'm, my my immediate reaction is probably Kyle Lafferty because he's not been seen near a squad since. Um, and obviously Morelos uh, came on at the weekend. Barisic was back on the bench. Grest is still coming back from injury, um, so I'm not sure how how much he was taken into consideration there. But yeah, I think that's quite a lot of players to be losing. Um, so the squad is looking a little bit like a potential mess. What you th- what do you think are the key positions that you know that might be a bit of a mess? And and I, mean, I was looking at it, and um, you know we we had spoken um, earlier on in the kind of podcast episodes about a few of these things. Uh, one of the things that I'd maybe spoken about, and I guess given what happened at the weekend, it's sort of timely to revisit it briefly. Um, but, you know, maybe some thoughts are on the goalkeeper. Um, so McGregor's had a fantastic season, but that season was in somewhat... Uh, well, uh, given how, he, you know, what a brilliant save he made from Canberra and then obviously to get sent off in that way. Um, however, it looks like they've got, you know, a ready-made replacement there in... Mr. 100% clean sheet. <laughs> Ross McCrory is going to put his brother out of a job. Um, but no, in, in seriousness, is goalkeeper one of the positions you would think needs work or um, to have a backup to McGregor? Or do you think that centre-back's critical given that they might need two new centre-backs? Or is there some other area that you think is really important to look at? What, what's your thoughts on the squad? Uh, yeah, I think goalkeeper's definitely one you have to look at. Um whether McGregor can sort out this sort of disciplinary stuff, and I know it's you know what two red cards. It's not the end of the world, but it's for a goalkeeper, it's quite rare. Uh, so I think Fodringham is all but away. I think he wants to be a first team keeper somewhere. So so Rangers need to look at that. Um, I think yeah, they need to that needs to be addressed. Um, who or or what that is, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, I am a big fan of uh, Robbie McCrory. Um, and he's done really well for Greenwich Martin recently. I think he's kept three clean sheets in the bounce. So I don't think he's a million miles away from potentially challenging for, um, or at least being, you know, the dedicated number two. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what Rangers do there. And in terms of the two centre backs, you're right. Uh, if Rangers are going to play the amount of games that they're they're they could have if they go on a good European run and further into cup competitions, they're going to need that. Uh, I don't think signing Gareth McCauley was a wise move at any point. I don't see the value in having a centre-back that's, what, 38, 39? Who's, and football's changed. You, I don't really think you get away with, uh, but look at what Davy Weir done. Um, I think that you know the way that players play now is, is different from 10 years ago. So I think that'll be something that Rangers do have to address. 
again, I'm I'm not too sure of who they look at or or what sort of profile they look at, but it'll be that's the two sort of main focuses. The one thing they've got for sure is an absolute abundance of central midfielders. So you've got Greg Doherty and Jordan Rosser coming back. So that's something I guess for from Gerrard's point of view, if he's going to stick with this four three two one, he's got that position pretty much covered. What I was thinking about and. Um... Uh, well, in terms of the attacking midfield roles, um, given that Kent might not be there next season and Candias is getting to quite an age for a, a, an attacking wide player, I, I wasn't entirely, um, well, I'm not entirely convinced that Jones and Hasty are maybe the level required as starters. Um, I, I, obviously, I really, really like Jake Hasty. Let, let me just be clear about that. But some of his output, his goals have been... Um, a little bit lucky, uh, you know, he's outperforming expected goals and he's kind of hit a hot patch and um, I think that that might set expectations a little bit higher than they should just because of the style of those goals and stuff and and I think we spoke before that I just think that there's a wee bit of a gap in terms of age, both between Candace maybe not, shouldn't be a, a, a potentially next season and Hasty might be a bit young to be a stick-on starter particularly in high-profile games for Rangers. And I know the current formation tweak suggests that maybe, you know, our field would be playing it'd be somebody a wee bit more interior. But I'm just a wee bit concerned that those are not necessarily um, quite of the level to be competing for trophies in the way that you might want Rangers to be. Um, so that that's an area I would still be interested to see what develops in the summer. Um, I know that Murphy will be back, but, and, and you know, I, again, I, I hope he does... Uh, brilliantly, that was such an awful injury at such a bad time for him. But he is now, I guess, um, quite quite old again for an attacking wide player. Um, and having had a serious injury, you you would hope that he's fine and everything goes really well for him. But the you know concern has to be there that it might not be quite the same for him. So that might be an area I'd be interested to see what Rangers do. The, the the other thing I wanted to say briefly, I guess, about Rangers' recruitment strategy is that I mean it has to a certain extent being slightly focused on um, players from the Scottish League or players from maybe clubs that Rangers have played against in some way or players that have previously been at the club or have some sort of association with the club or players that maybe Gerard knows um, from kind of you know England setup or whatever. So I'm a, a wee bit concerned that there's not a, as much imagination and kind of you know scouting there and, and stuff. That you know, obviously, we'll see how that plays out in the summer. But let's say, for instance, you ended up getting an extraordinary offer for Morelos or Tavernier and decided to sell them. Not only then is that a huge ask to replace, I don't think people would understand what they'd be losing by losing Tavernier if it actually happened. Um, and the same goes for Morelos. Um, but to to have to replace that and replace it having with my kind of and it is a limited assessment of how they're recruiting at the moment. I would have slight worries about that, um, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens there. Before we finish up, can I give you just two quick questions uh, for you? So one came in from uh, Gavin Kelly who asked about uh, Borna Barisic. Um, so there's obviously been some rumours about uh, his whether he's going to be at Rangers next season, but he's effectively just asked. Is he too good for Rangers to get rid of right now? 
I think so, yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, why would you, right? And in, in my view, he's not done anything wrong. It seems as though there are maybe have been some slight issues behind the scene, um, but I think he's good. I think that you want to have more than one option at left-back. I think you can see, um, well, you could see at the game of the weekend against Hibs that there were some op- opportunities um, for Rangers if they'd had somebody that was quicker to get up and support the attack than Flanagan, um, like potentially Barisic, then opportunities would have been on. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't see why you would want to sell Barisic. Surely you would give him another season. I pulled a couple of quick stats just to kind of compare them. Um, and these stats aren't necessarily to say that one player is better than the other and like that. It's just to see some differences. So, for instance, um, Barisic makes the most completed crosses per 90 minutes in the Rangers team so you know more than Tavernier for instance um, whereas Flanagan makes the most possession adjusted tackles per 90 so that as a starting point kind of gives you an indication of the stylistic difference between having these two people in the team Um, Barisic is um, top for expected assists from set pieces so you know his delivery is really good and and that's an important weapon to have Um, the um, other thing that's kind of stood out to me is expected goals build up. So kind of people, uh, you know, just your your contribution, I guess, to getting the ball eventually to a chance. Within the Rangers team, Barisic is fifth um, highest for that per 90 minutes, whereas Flanagan is second lowest. Um, and in terms of... Uh, yeah, think things like um, so open play expected assists. Um, Barisic is sixth out of twenty players in Rangers that have done sufficient minutes to to qualify. Flanagan's fourth from bottom. Um, so you know you, you can see clearly um, that there's a, a huge difference in these two players in terms of what what they bring to the table. And you, you might maybe say that you could bring somebody else and instead of Barisic should be even better at the attacking side of things and maybe there are some issues. I, mean, I, I don't think he's a very good passer. I, I think there are some technical issues at times. Um, but yeah, I would keep him around for sure. I, I agree. I think he, he's looked good when he's played. Um, but just to finally finish up uh, the episode, one final question from me to you is how far are you willing to take your Glenn Kamara propaganda train next season? <laughs> All the way. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I absolutely love Glenn Kamara. Um, I think he's been fantastic for Rangers. I'm not surprised. Um, when you look at the stats um, this season, he, he's already outstripping so many of teammates in so many um, different kind of areas that I really like. Um, however... Um, my love for him was tempered somewhat by the fact that I've seen now that pressure regains, which is a stat that I really like, pressure regains are where basically your team wins the ball back within five seconds of you pressing um, an opponent. Um, Kamara has now dropped from top to second top in the Rangers team per 90 for these. He's been replaced by Stephen Davis. Um, so <laughs> There's motivation uh, for Glenn yeah, Kamara. Uh, so he better get his finger out and get back to the top of that if he's going to have me um, supporting him all the way through next season. <laughs> but no, exactly. Get go on it and you'll get many, many more mentions throughout next season on this podcast. Um, so yeah, just to kind of draw things to a final conclusion then, thank you to everybody that's been listening. 
two major games to look forward to, I think, apart from the playoffs that we spoke about. So obviously this weekend, Rangers host Celtic. Um, that would be a, a really good one to look out for. And then on Monday, uh, the 13th, coincidentally my birthday, St Mirren host Hamilton in a relegation six-pointer. Um, so we look forward to those games. I hope you're looking forward to it as well. Um, if you have listened to us tonight, then please subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating, share, tell a friend, do that right now. Thanks again.